Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good Sunday to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Whether you're thinking about Sunday dinner or planning this week's meals, I hope that you'll love listening to this show. You'll hear recipes, tips, and fun food discoveries because great advice and inspiration is shared here from our team of experts, celebrity chefs, and food artisans, from cookbook authors to mixologists, health experts to sommeliers, and more. So dive into the culinary world with me because on this show, we're eating and drinking like you've never done before. You can always find me serving up seconds on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, and you'll find a bevy of delicious recipes and tips posted on my website at chefjamie.com, along with podcasts of shows you might have missed. But let's dig in, shall we? So it's the fall season officially, and you already fit into your teeny weeny bikini, right? So we're venturing to heartier fare as the weather cools down. And I love the braises and the big cuts of meat that make an appearance. Stephen Raiklin, the grilling guru, recently posted a piece about the newest cuts of steak. And I thought it was something we should definitely dish on. They're not particularly new cuts of steak, but they are delicious. And they were often the butcher's cuts or those that the meat guys and gals would keep for themselves when butchering. These are actually the cuts that are starting to get more attention and rising to fame because beef quality and the vast selection of cuts are really ever evolving in the food world. Now, some months ago, I shared my undying love for the deckle, also known as the ribeye cap, which by the way, is the tastiest cut on the cow. I have a love affair with the deckle and with my husband too. But uh, for a quick refresher, for those that might have missed the culinary conversation, what is the decal, you ask? Well, first, allow me to clarify some of the confusion from a couple of emails that I received following the decal conversation initially. And by the way, you can email me anytime, jamie at chefjamie.com. The beef decal does not have anything to do with the beef brisket, contrary to much of what you might read on the internet. The decal is actually the flap or the top of the prime rib that is most often removed when the rib is made into Spencer steaks or ribeye roasts, or even ribeye steaks for that matter. Now, the decal, I believe, is the most delicious piece of steak that you'll ever taste. It's called a calotte steak in France. It's butcher's butter, when it's referred to in a meat house. But on a menu, let's say you go to Mario Batali's Carne Vino in Las Vegas or at a Fleming's Prime Steakhouse across the country, you look for the word decal. Now, I've harbored this secret love for uh, the decal for quite some time. You've seen it before because when the cap is left on on a ribeye steak, it's that fatty, delicious, buttery piece that you didn't know was called the decal. And we all know that ribeye steaks are the most flavorful premium steak available, while the tenderloin, which is where fillets are cut from, is the most tender, of course. Well, the ribeye cap, 
or the deckel has the best of both worlds. It has all the flavor and the juicy fat of a ribeye, but the tenderness of a tenderloin. Now on to the new cuts, as I mentioned from Stephen Raiklin. It's important to note there are new cuts available and you do need to make fast friends with your butcher, but you should be looking for flat iron steaks, also known as a top blade. It's a boneless cut. It's definitely getting uh, some runaway commercial success. And as far as tenderness goes, it is only second to a filet mignon. It's really beefy tasting. It's got great texture and really good marbling. And you'll love a flat iron. But you should also seek out the Denver steak. It's a Japanese cut. Well, the Japanese call the cut uh, a zabaton. And it was named after a cushion used in Zen meditation. It's actually a cut found deep in the shoulder. And it's sort of um, newly found, I should say. It's very richly marbled, this zabaton, also called a Denver steak. It's very grillable. It's very delicious. It's not widely available yet at retail, but you should watch for it. And by the way, all three cuts, the deckle, the flat iron, and the zabaton or Denver steak can be marinated, rubbed, sauced, or even just simply seasoned with salt and pepper. And once again, they are beautiful grilled. And for maximum tenderness, please allow me to remind you that you want to cook to medium rare, especially these three cuts. And then you want to let the meat rest. I like a good five to 10 minute rest. I tent with aluminum foil when the steaks are off the grill and on a plate because that allows the juices to recirculate. And so when you cut through the meat, you don't get a, a pool of juice, but rather the steak itself is juicy. And remember to always cut against the grain. When you slice against the grain, you get the most toothsome bite. Now, by the way, when you serve that first decal to your family friends or those that you love the most, you will be a culinary hero. But there's no need to give me credit. You can thank me later. Okay, <laughs> that's my weekly dish on the food topic at hand. And now it's time for food news. Here's this week's news you can use. While I do not particularly advocate, nor do I partake in much fast food, or really any for that matter, uh, there is a story that needs to be told. Because in my youth, I remember frozen soda slushies. And I know that you do too. But watch out, 7-Eleven. There is a new slushie in town. Have you heard... Instead of just supplying the world with chicken McNuggets and hamburgers and French fries, McDonald's has a new item to get addicted to. That's right. It is the frozen soda slushy. The fast food giant is testing out a new line of frozen soda drinks, and they released information in the U.S. just this past week, including a flavor of the frozen soda slushy, the ever ubiquitous Coca-Cola. Now, the drinks will also come in wild cherry Fanta and blue raspberry Fanta flavors. As of right now, though, the flavors were released only in the central and western parts of Kansas, Where's the love for Southern California, where we live, right? Or where I live. Uh, for many of you, though, you might see it before I do. McDonald's has 
uh, started slinging the slushy drinks across Australia, Malaysia, and Thailand. So we'll wait and see where they land next, right? Okay, cheers to the frozen soda slushy. For that indulgence, I'm all in. And don't you dare touch your dial because we have such a delicious show continuing. We are dishing on everyone's favorite meal, right? Big Bad Breakfasts. Oh, yes. With the top chef you know and love, in fact, praised as a James Beard up-and-coming rising star chef in the South. He is John Currents, and he is just a darn good cook with a great personality, and you won't want to miss the conversation next. Also, before the end of the hour, we're making some cake magic with Caroline Wright, so bakers, stay tuned. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, back with more fabulous food right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We do have the best culinary thinkers on this show, so let me set the table for you. I have been dying to visit Big Bad Breakfast, the much-talked-about restaurant in Oxford, Mississippi. There's one in Birmingham, Alabama now, all a part of the restaurant group called City Grocery. And they serve up comfort and sustenance at Big Bad Breakfast with exceptional culinary style from the James Beard Award winner, that is Chef John Currents. Chef has elevated breakfast at this much-beloved diner to an art form. Banana pecan coffee cake, spicy boudin with poached eggs, and oyster pot pie. Oh, yes. And now he is sharing his beloved recipes, the much-anticipated cookbook entitled Big Bad Breakfast just released, and it is already a bestseller on Amazon. And John Currents, the well-loved and much-celebrated Southern chef, is here to dish, and I am delighted. Hi, John. Thank you for being here. Wow. Th- thank you. I-, I don't know that I've ever been introduced that well before. Well, well-deserved. Deserve no, well-deserved. I'll be going straight to math. <laughs> <laughs> I love your, and that's such a perfect example, your uh, lively and lovely personality that so much so shines through in everything that you do. Congratulations on the book. I know it was a true labor of love. And I've never seen such an outpouring of love, by the way, in the support of the book. Emeril Lagasse, John Besh, David, uh, David Chang, they're, they're bowing to you. I, I don't really know what I, I've done to deserve, you know, arriving at the place that I have. But, uh, you know, I, I just, I've, I've got the most remarkable group of, of, of friends that I think that any man could ever dream of having. Mm, isn't that, and, uh, uh, I'd I'm have to agree. Blessed in that way. Can you well, please, you. Um, of course, define breakfast for us? Because the book is beautiful, by the way, and you are sharing your secrets. But you say at the beginning, in the introduction, that God made heaven and earth and then he created breakfast, right? Or she, he or she. He or she, absolutely. Yes. I'm, and I'm more inclined to believe she than, <laughs> than he, because you know, all we do is screw things up. And y'all just clean our messes up. <laughs> um. 
uh, you know, I, I, the, the beautiful thing, uh, you know, about about breakfast is, is that you know, in our in our heads, it's you know, it's so sort of built around grits and eggs, but uh, you know, in reality, you know, it can be just about anything. And then if you pop an egg on top of it, you know, it it, it, it really is, you know, that becomes the breakfast exclamation point. And mm. so, you know, the the fun thing uh, about writing this this book was that um, you know I, I got to to really revision. It. And, you know, and we did everything from sort of breakfast sweets in the first chapter, you know, all the way through breakfast cocktails um, in the end. And uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, it, it really touches on all corners of the world. Um, you know, we look at, uh, at breakfast culture and, you know, in different countries. And uh, uh, so it's it, it really can can be almost anything that you want it to be. But in your restaurants, it's always soulful. It's always heartwarming. It's always welcoming. And I understand um, from the word on the street, because really I've been dying to go. When you step into Big Bad Breakfast, there's a very special feel. And then this welcome basket arrives. Could you describe it? Well, I, you know, I wish that the welcome basket would, would arrive. That's the, that's <laughs> the sort of the whole, uh, you know, secret uh, there to that first chapter was that it was based on a conversation that my business partner in Birmingham, who I, I think is one of the most brilliant operators um, in the world, um, and I talked about when when we first uh, when we were first conceiving of our location in Birmingham, and that was that you know what if we could just deliver like the minute people sat down the most sort of explosively flavored sort of basket of little bites of sweet things to eat. And, uh, you know, and of course we started doing the food cost on it and, you know, and it almost immediately evaporated. And so this was like, as I was writing recipes and working on, uh, you know, that, that idea, these oh, were the things that it that was, was a dream, in that a dream welcome it basket. It is. I and now those, those things are actually being used, but not, you know, as, as much in, in, in that way. Okay. So if we were to create, develop, put together the welcome basket. Could I put requests in? Like, I would like to start with banana pecan coffee cake, please. Oh, that's, uh, is, is, is one, one of my absolute favorites and touches such a, a, uh, a remarkable time in my life that, mm. uh, that I, that I love. We, we lived down the street from a locally owned, uh, bakery chain in New Orleans in the, in the sixties, um, where they, you know, they didn't. Things didn't come from a commissary, and there were, you know, maybe eight or twelve locations around the city. They made everything in each store individually, hmm. and uh, and they made everything from donuts to pedophores. But uh, they made this just absolutely insanely delicious uh, banana pecan coffee cake that uh, that I used to run down the street whenever my mom would give me a couple of bucks right. and uh, and go grab for uh, my brother and I to share for breakfast. And I have memories having grown up very far away from New Orleans, but for uh, my experiences there. And I understand from spending enough time there that if you are accepted in New Orleans, that you have the right to call it Nolens, right? Of course. Okay, of good. Course. So in and we, Nolens, and we accept everyone. <laughs> yes, you do. In Nolens, I remember the much beloved Uglesiches. Oh, uh, it makes it makes my heart hurt. I know, but when you um, when you write about the uh, Mackenzie's Bakery, it made me think of those wonderful memories of places 
long gone or in the past and you're really bringing that back i mean a taste of banana pecan coffee cake conjures up memories for you yeah it, it does and and you know the breakfast experience in new orleans that that i remember was was what we were you know what i was trying to transport people to and and you you have to remember in frame of reference that you know i was born sort of as the you know the civil rights era was in full steam and mm-hmm. while you know the the integration in new orleans was not as uh as significant as it was in a lot of places um you know there there there, there still was you know a, a little bit of uh you know of, of a challenge to it mm-hmm. and um you know what what i remember you know loving were the sort of soda fountains and lunch counters mm-hmm. that had the chair height counters Adam yes. you know where my you know my housekeeper would take me to eat um, or where I mean our family's housekeeper would take us to eat and or my grandmother when she went downtown shopping would take us to eat mm-hmm. um, you know there were there were these sort of greasy spoon diners that, that snuggled up next to the hospitals and um, you know that that served that served breakfast as well and I wanted to, to sort of recreate the feel of those places you know, that I absolutely adored as a child and, you know, and, and where I had these moments and these tastes of things that, you know, I, I wanted to, to take people to with me. Oh, and, and you've done that. I mean, I can still taste the fried green tomatoes from such as that memory, that culinary memory, so clear. And I can't wait to taste banana pecan coffee cake at Big Bad Breakfast because I know it will, it will create that same oh, just beautiful flavor, memory that it can't be beat. Um, I have a feeling that you have a, a tremendous memory of Chef Udo as well when it comes to making an omelet. You talk about your experience working as a young chef. And I love that you've given in and said that we can skip the trouble of making an omelet and just go for a skillet scramble. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, part of me is, is nostalgic for that day when, you know, when uh, when all the cooks in the kitchen, you know, wanted to be, to be the best at the hardest thing. Um, and, you know, and, and egg cookery was, you know, was that, that thing that, uh, you know, that we were really measured by, uh, when I was, a was a young man in the kitchen. Um, and, and that's kind of gone away. Um, mm. you know, but, you know, I, I am thoroughly amazed constantly at, uh, you know, the quality of omelets that just, you know, the guys who dedicate themselves to working in the kitchen at Big Bad Breakfast, which is an absolute nightmare of a kitchen. It's about the size of a shoebox. Oh, you're um, kidding. You know, and, they're, and, they're, and they're turning out, you know, on a, on a busy Saturday or Sunday morning, about 800 covers <gasps> out of that kitchen. And, uh, you know, but these guys produce the most beautiful, perfectly yellow, not a brown spot on them omelet you know, that, that you'll ever see anywhere. They're, they're absolutely spectacular. Isn't that true? Um, we were judged by egg cookery and sauces. I mean, when I went to culinary school, you're exactly right. I mean, this was how you were rated as a chef. And we right. have lost some of that. Yeah, there's just, there's not the, the interest in it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, it, uh, it was something that, you know, I just, I loved and I wanted to be the best and where, you know, guys, when I was a kid at the, you know, on the omelet station, when we, we would do these, uh, you know, these buffets for, you know, bus groups traveling to New Orleans, um, you know, guys would do anything to trade out 
of of working that shift because they didn't want you know, uh, you know sort of chef crawling up their butts. You know, if you didn't have your mise en place done, if you, you know, you were browning your omelets, if you couldn't cook fast enough. I mean, he was mm-hmm. just, just hard-nosed German, and he would just be on you. <laughs> and, you know, I, on the other hand, you know, I, all I wanted to do was impress him. And so, you know, I, I would I would take money. I would take any kind of bribe I could get, um, <laughs> you know, to, to work the omelet station. No doubt. Chef, will you please stay with us? Um, I would hate to lose you. There's so much more to talk about. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, he is the much beloved Southern chef. Uh, of course, City Grocery, his uh, brand of restaurants. You know him from Top Chef and so much more. But his new cookbook release is all a buzz. It's called Big Bad Breakfast. And there's more with John Currents right after this. We're back because this is where knowledge and inspiration and shrimp gravy biscuit sundaes are served up every Sunday. In fact, Chef John Currents is here. He is, of course, the much-loved Southern chef whose new cookbook release called Big Bad Breakfast, the most important book of the day, is on the table. And of course, his restaurants, Big Bad Breakfast in Oxford, Mississippi, Birmingham, Alabama, with more to come amongst other restaurants as well, are certainly much talked about. Um, Chef, can you make us a shrimp gravy biscuit sundae, please? Well, this, uh, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's, that's actually what I had uh, for breakfast this morning. And it is my, uh, it, it started as my sort of, and, and I know that this will, will will antagonize um, and upset some, some environmentalists, but it was my styrofoam cup go-to uh, breakfast meal when when I was running through Big Bad Breakfast uh, sort of <laughs> in our first year of it coming online because I would just grab a biscuit and crumble it in the bottom of a cup, um, put some grits on top of that. Um, so, uh, we would I would saute some shrimp and crawfish um, mm, and, uh, and hit it with a little bit of our tomato gravy, um, crumble some bacon, uh, and then uh, put a poached yes. egg and some green onion on top of it, and oh. that I could eat with a spoon out of a cup. Okay, and it doesn't matter the cup. We could do it in bamboo or hemp today, but I, I would gladly we, we, take that from you with a spoon any moment. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it really is, uh, it, it is a fun dish, and it was totally inspired by Steve Martin and the Jerk. Um, <laughs> there, was, there was talk during the Jerk about a guy who made pizza in a cup, and so... I was going to make breakfast in a cup. Well, and yeah. you've done it successfully. Um, I don't know if we could eat it in a cup, but I would sit down happily to an oyster pot pie with you any day. That's, uh, that is that, true knowledge. That was actually one of my, my favorite things to shoot um, in, the, uh, in the book because uh, our photographer, Ed Anderson, uh, almost ate himself sick on it Like once we got done shooting it. Um, he, he loved to sort of shoot things whole and then sort of dig into them to make them look partially eaten. And... Uh, and that thing, it was, it was about the size of a, of a 12-inch pie. And, uh, I mean, and he just went after it when it was done. And we had to take like an hour off so he could lay down. <laughs> I love it. And I love, too, that you're really okay with buying um, fresh 
shucked oysters, that you're fine with us finding a good source and not having to shuck them ourselves for an oyster pot pie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, people think that we get, you know, so insanely caught up and, you know, in the, uh, you know, in, in this sort of culture uh, of food and, you know, in the behind closed doors, like all we eat is foie gras and truffles and, you know. Oh, you I don't? I people all the time that, you know. That, <laughs> I don't <laughs> either. There, 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 there are times when, you know, nothing will substitute for French's yellow mustard. Isn't that you know, true? Or, you know, when I'm, when I'm eating, when I'm making a hamburger and we're like, we're, we're, we're de- like trying to define a hamburger for a restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, I pretty much like I'll poo poo, you know, any sort of pickle except the cheapest dill pickle uh, chip that you can, you can purchase. Um, you know, same thing for a roast beef pull boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if you, you, you have a good source of, you know, for oysters. I mean, P&J's in New Orleans, you know, some of the finest that there are anywhere. Yes. You know, and I'll, I'll take those in a bucket, you know, over, you know, some sort of nasty, briny, aged, you know, boutique oyster from, you know, wherever it is. Any day. Uh, you know, any day of the week. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. Uh, on, a, on a much simpler note, there are so many recipes in the book that I can't wait to make. Uh, second only to going to Big Bad Breakfast. But we share a love, you and I, for honey. And I am so excited to rush to the kitchen later today and make black pepper honey because this, this three very simple ingredient drizzle, as you speak about, is delicious, I can only imagine, on just about everything. Yeah, it really is. I mean, there's something about the, uh, the, the earthiness of, of, of black pepper, and it's got to be toasted and freshly ground so that those, you know, those oils are, are fresh and just coming out. That uh, it really elevates uh, honey, you know, in, in sort of like a you know like a double helix, like a DNA kind of mm. uh, you know ascension. They just they mm. they work together so well um, that uh, you know, and it and it's just and it's it's very unexpected. What do you drizzle um, it on, it, Chef? Uh, I mean, I don't think there's really anything better to drizzle it on than, than biscuits. I mean, one of my oddly my favorite things to eat at breakfast, and this is not in the book, is just. Uh, it's just toast with uh, with with fresh ground peanut butter uh, and honey drizzled on it, mm. um, yeah. and maybe a sliced banana with uh, some bee pollen. Yes, and uh, you know hmm. it's, it's just. I think you have to call that the elevated Elvis and put it on the menu. It kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Perfect. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Congratulations to you on the continued success, and um, and and I bow to you like Emeril and John Besh and David Chang do for your extraordinary passion. Thank you for being here, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so yes, much of for all of your kind words. And, I, and thank you for, for loving the book. I appreciate that. He is John Currents. The book is Big Bad Breakfast, the most important book of the day. And you heard about it here first. There's more delicious conversation in your radio right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. Sharing the sweeter side of life, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. 
So you want to have your cake and eat it too, right? Well, then you have to see the inventive new cookbook release from Caroline Wright. It's entitled Cake Magic, and it treats cake like a canvas to paint your flavor fantasies upon, sharing endless variations with her methodology to the art of baking mouthwatering cakes for every taste. With Caroline's book, you can mix and match your way to 100 amazing combinations using her core recipes and her flavor combos. And I think it is super smart. I am delighted that Caroline Wright is here to dish. Glad to have you. Hi, Caroline. Hi, thank you for having me. What an intro. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, I think the book is really smart. You know, I'm I'm a cookbook author as well, and, and I humbly share that with you only because I know the challenge of a cookbook concept. And I think that we are in a day and age of crazy, beautiful busyness, but, uh, but a newfound approach and appreciation for food. So if I could bake a cake for someone whom I love perfectly along the lines of their flavor profile, because I know you, you tend to, um, to, to probe a friend to their favorite combo in order to plan their mm. birthday cake, I think yes. that your concept's really brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, the idea is is to give back to the baker some, even if they're intimidated by baking or whatever, to take all the excuses away and give them the creativity to make a favorite cake for someone they love. Um, so find the flavors that work best for them. Yeah, very smart. So give us some essential tips, please, because you do bake your cakes consistently with the same guidelines. Yeah, exactly. So all of the cakes are based on this one mix. Um, that you make at home. So, you know, sort of stepping out of the box, you have a, uh, you know, just flour, sugar, baking powder, baking soda, and salt mix. There's also also a gluten-free version if you're into that. Um, and you, you make it ahead. So that's one of my tips is that you make everything ahead and you get all of your stuff out at one time and you worry about all the ingredients and all the fussiness all at one time. And then you clean up after yourself and just um, take you know, scoops out as you need them. Um, but it, it takes away the, the argue that you know, argument that convenience is something standing in the way of mm. your cake baking prowess. Very smart. And then once it comes to the cake itself, you use a, an age-old pastry chef's tip that I love in order to maintain moisture. Does it extend the life of the cake, in your opinion, as well? Yeah, a little bit. Um, mostly the, the syrups. You're referring to the syrups that yes. after you bake the cakes, um, you pull the cakes out of the oven and you poke it with a skewer and you add these simple syrups, which carry a flavoring agent, um, you know, sometimes chocolate, citrus, um, sometimes even made with soda for a soda fountain cake. Hmm. Um, Smart. And you imbibe, you imbibe the cakes with these syrups. Hmm. Um, and yes, so it does technically extend the life of the cake a little bit, you know, think like, you know, fruitcake or something like that. Technically, yes, that's the reason why you're part of the reason why you're doing it. But for me, it's really a flavor thing. It's really, um, you know, that moist homemade Mm. cake thing that you're going after. Um, So that's that's why it's just to add this extra layer of like, hmm, is there bacon in here? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. You gotta love that. <laughs> We're making cake magic more after the break.
We're back and we're dishing with Caroline Wright, the author of Cake Magic. You give really, I think, very straightforward, simple tips to frostings and toppings. And I love the idea of choosing a a friend or family member or your favorite flavor and then compounding on it, essentially. Like as we come into fall, I love anything malt. I love cider, right? I love rich apple cider. So I want to make your apple cider cake. You make the base of the apple cider cake. You add cider syrup and a malted vanilla frosting. I'm in. Oh, the malted vanilla frosting. It tastes like a milkshake. It's my favorite. It's so good. And the malted chocolate frosting is, it's you know, sibling. It's just malted (laughs) vanilla with chocolate basically stirred in. And it's great too. Um, But yeah, those are delicious warming flavors for the fall. Uh, the apple cake, you, you can't beat it. It is so good. There's a pear cake, too, very similar. Um, mm. I, I love it. Also, they're very moist and, and delicious. Really nice. When it comes to frosting, do you believe in a cake stand, or do you uh, truly think that anyone can master the beauty of a frosted cake? Oh, yeah, I do. I really do think that anyone can master it. I do believe a turntable is helpful if you do become a person who loves to bake and frost cakes on the regular. Uh, a turntable does help. I feel like Lazy Susan's a little judgmental, but, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I do like a turntable. Um, and, you know, I put parchment strips or wax paper strips underneath it just to help keep your, you know, your heirloom cake stand clean. Yes, yes. Um, but you know, the, the de- goal of decorating in this book, thanks for going back to the frosting. Yeah, it's the goal of decorating in this book is not meant, you're not going to see, you know, piped roses in this book. This is all just meant to be teaching you how to just assemble your cake and then focusing on things that you might have on hand and that also bring extra flavor to the cakes, like whether it's chopped nuts along the side or a sprinkling of uh, sugar that you make with herbs. Mm. Um, you know, something that adds uh, decorative element, but also flavor and worrying less about, you know, things being so perfect. Yeah. Chocolate covered espresso beans chopped, uh, at the top of a, um, is that an Irish coffee cake? That looks yummy. Yes, that is. That's a delicious one. That's the mocha cake with Mm. a Bailey's syrup and a malted vanilla frosting. So good. My birthday's the end of this month, just so you know. (laughs) Nice. Don't forget. Uh, and and then in, in very real form and fashion, you troubleshoot because all of us, um, novices and connoisseurs alike, have made what you call a wonky cake. What a great word. <laughs> well, that was my thing is I literally wanted every person, like I said, gluten-free people, vegan people, people with, you know, new to baking, people who are scared of it. I wanted everyone to be able to crack open this book and... Uh, make a cake. And so that section is really devoted to the new bakers who maybe don't know their ovens that well or have not had a huge amount of success with their cakes. Mm. So if something funny is happening to your cakes, uh, you know, if it's not rising properly on one side or, you know, you're getting a funny crust around the edge or whatever, I've gone through sort of some troubleshooting aspects of what to expect or change for next time, even how to change it in the moment. Mm. Um, it, just so that, it, again, it's empowering to the new baker. Yeah, really terrific. Um, like you, I think we have very similar palates. I am a brown sugar and brown butter lover. 
And I love, Ooh, yes, here for you. I was going to say between <laughs> your brown sugar chapter and the browned butter cake, there is that malted vanilla frosting again. Um, I see a cake in my future this week for sure. Ooh, that's a really, really good one. Mm, um, delicious. I, I too. Yeah. I like everything. I like bringing the flavor up just a little bit, you know, past what people are expecting. Give me, give me a good you know, dark caramel and a little sprinkling of salt. You got Mm. me every time. Yeah, me me too. Congratulations. The book is really inventive. It's innovative. It's fun. And it makes baking a cake remarkably easy. You should check it out. Caroline Wright is sharing her simple five-ingredient homemade dry mix that will form the foundation for your cake. From there, it's mixing and matching a batter, a syrup, a frosting, and a topping, and you can switch it up and make it your own, but it is truly magical. The book is called Cake Magic. The author, Caroline Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, 100 Amazing Combinations That, trust me, will, you, will make you want to slice a cake and eat a piece immediately. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Caroline, glad oh, to have you. you. Thank you so much. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of culinary inspiration and delicious conversation. And I hope that you learned something to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. You can find podcasts of this show you might have missed to learn more about the culinary world, posted at chefjamie.com. And you can find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'll leave you with my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. And I will post this food hack on social media as well because it's a really good one. Do you want to cook pasta in just 60 seconds? Oh, yes, you can. So you get home from work or school and you set to prepare for dinner, right? And you take your pound of pasta and you soak it in a bowl of water for the hour while you get to sip a glass of wine or open the mail or catch up on other things. Because when it's time to eat, you drop the pasta into a pot of boiling water For just a minute or two, and yes, in 60 seconds, it's ready to go. What a brilliant pasta shortcut, and yes, it works. You have to try it out. I'll post my pasta hack on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, once again at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I'll meet you here next Sunday as we sip and savor, because this is where knowledge and inspiration is served up every weekend. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. 